Hello, you're listening to The 30 Minute Expert, the podcast that aims to make you an expert on a chosen topic in 30 minutes. This episode is designed to make you an expert on stock markets. A stock market is an important part of the economy of a country. It plays a pivotal role in the growth of the industry and commerce of a country that eventually affects the entire economy to a great extent. But what actually goes on and how does it work? Well, here to make you an expert on the topic is Faith Glasgow, a broadsheet finance journalist and editor of Personal Finance and Investing for Dummies. Hello. Hello, James. Uh, Good to be with you. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, You write about finance and investing professionally. Uh, How did you get to be such an authority on the matter? Serendipity, really. I think it was just, you know, a series of unfortunate events. I, um, I was working for the Investors Chronicle uh, for uh, for several years in in um, the 1990s, and then I went freelance, and I have learned an awful lot as a freelancer. I, I haven't really um, ever worked in the investment market as a as a trader or a fund manager or anything like that. It's just um, working as a journalist and and you know having to learn on the job. So you know all about it, but you've not lost any money in it, which sounds like a very wise way to play the game. So <laughs> in its most simplistic terms, Faith, what is the stock market? Um, the stock market is, is basically, well, it's, it's a market like any other. But in this case, it's bringing together um, people who want to buy shares and people who want to sell them. Uh, shares being uh, little portions of listed companies. So... Um, uh, if a company lists on the stock market, then it then it becomes known as a publicly traded company, public company. Uh, and once it's done that, um, people can buy and sell shares in it. And the stock market is the facilitator. Well, it's the marketplace. So why would a company list on the stock market? Companies need to, to raise money. And um, when they're small, it's easier to do that uh, through a bank. Banks will lend to them. But um, as they get larger and need to raise larger sums of money, um, banks may become less willing to to lend. Um, They have the option of something called private equity, which is um, private investors' money. Um, But that often comes with strings attached. Uh, And eventually, they may well get to a point where they decide that the easiest thing is to to list on the stock exchange, which means that they are uh, raising money from very large numbers of individual investors and institutional investors, such as pension funds. Um, and that makes them their whole position a lot more liquid. They can get to access to cash much more easily. So basically, it's a way of raising money for, for companies. But it also has a knock-on effect of raising their profile because they've become better known uh, and it can also help them in terms of um, improving their, uh, their their profile in that they have to comply with all the, the regulations of the stock exchange on which they're listed uh, and therefore you know there's, there's a certain element of reassurance for investors. So how would a company go about listing itself on the stock market? Well, it will do something called an IPO, an initial public offering. Um, This is basically when when the company um, decides on a certain number of shares that it's going to release. Uh, It'll sell them to an underwriter, um, which is a a, third party, 
uh, usually an investment bank. And the investment bank then um, does the marketing. It decides on the date of the IPO. It decides on the price. It does the publicity that is necessary to to, to, um, pique investors' interest in it. Um, And then it releases the um, the shares on on the on the allotted date, and the, the what happens then is that you know if if it's a successful um, IPO, then lots of investors have heard about it. It's looking pretty good. Um, they want a piece of the action, and they will uh, snap the shares up. They'll be um, looking to buy them through IPO, particularly because often the the um, uh, the price of the shares is discounted, especially to make them a bit more attractive for investors who don't necessarily know what they're getting into. Uh, so, you know, they're hoping that if they buy at a discount, they're going to uh, see a very rapid rise in the price once the once the um, the stock actually goes onto the exchange and is is being traded by investors. The IPO is also an opportunity for. Um, the people who have already got money in the in the company, that might be the founder, the friends and family of the founder, um, it might be venture capital or private equity, um, but those people will also be able to get their money out because their shares in the company, their private shares in the company, um, are become tradable at the at the public price. So if they've seen a big uplift, then um, uh, they're in a very happy position. That applies specifically to to companies that want to list on what's known as the main market, so the the the, the market for big the exchange for big companies. But there are um, other exchanges. Well, in this country, there's something called AIM or the Alternative Investment Market, um, where smaller companies can list. Um, it's cheaper. It's less uh, rigorously regulated, and um, you do get all sorts of companies there. So you mentioned that the regulation, is that when it comes down to buying and selling shares? Is it that you're not buying directly from other investors? Does it all go through? Is that what the exchange is? Is it kind of the middleman between the investors buying and selling shares from each other? Um, It's the marketplace. I mean, I kind of think of it as a physical marketplace, but if you if you walked in as an investor into the marketplace, you would need a middleman. Um, the broker is the middleman. So if you, as an, as a private investor, decided that you wanted to buy some shares, then you would need to get in touch with um, as either a stockbroker, which is a rather old fashioned way of doing it these days, where you might ring up and talk to your broker on the phone, tell them which um, shares you wanted to buy. Um, or more likely these days, you would um, set up an account on a on an online platform, and you can cheaply and very easily uh, place your own uh, trades there. Um, and uh, they are transacted straight away if it's if it's in the you know if it's in the trading hours within trading trading hours. But you're doing it through a broker in the middle. So if John has shares in one company and Terry wants to buy them. Terry doesn't just ring up John. He has to do it through somebody in the middle. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and John and Terry just don't come in contact with each other. So I've heard of the London Stock Exchange. There's the New York Stock Exchange. Are they, is there something that separates them or are they just representing companies based in their home countries? 
They are primarily representing the companies that are based uh, in those countries. But um, it is perfectly possible for, for companies to list on more than one exchange. Um, you can do something called dual listing, um, which basically is exactly what it sounds like. You, you list on, on one or on two or more exchanges. Um, the drawback with doing that is that it's expensive, but the attraction for very big companies, I mean, it's, 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 I guess it's more likely to be multinationals who will do this sort of thing, um, but uh, they get a lot more exposure to, to overseas investors uh, and they get a lot more potential liquidity because they can raise money on two exchanges rather than just one. You do get quite a number of Chinese technology companies such as Alibaba and, um, and Baidu, uh, which are listed in uh, on the on the New York Stock Exchange, and they really do this because there's a lot more investment interest um, from international in investors uh, than from the domestic market in China, and also because it does their international reputation a lot of good to be to be um, listed on the U.S. Stock Exchange. There'll be quite a lot of, I suppose, jargon still to come. I think we'll talk about the Dow Jones and the FTSE 100 a little bit later. But first of all, what is the NASDAQ? Ooh, the NASDAQ, um, it's, it's an acronym and it's a bit of a mouthful, actually. It stands for the National Association of Securities Dealers Automated Quotations Exchange. And that is why nobody ever calls it by its proper title. <laughs> That's why we um, call it the NASDAQ, I get you. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, it's it's a, a, a it's based in the U.S. and it's basically a global electronic marketplace. It was the first global electronic marketplace, and because it's it's always been technologically ahead of the curve, it has always attracted um, uh, technology companies to list on it. So it's associated very much with um, well with technology companies. Um, and most of the big, you know, the big Microsofts and Facebooks and Amazons of this world um, will be listed on NASDAQ. I see. Now, the next bit of jargon is the index. The index is, is a, it's a kind of a snapshot of uh, what's going on in the market. It's a representative um, slice of the, of, of the companies that are listed in that, on that market. So the FTSE All Share, that's the UK um, main market, the biggest index in, in, the, in the UK market. Um, and it accounts for about 98% of all the companies that are listed in the UK in, in terms of their market value. The one that's perhaps even more familiar to people is the FTSE 100, and that is the top 100 companies, the blue chip companies, um, and they are the real big heavyweights. They're, they're um, multinationals, most of them, and um, they can often behave quite differently from the domestic market companies, the companies that are a bit smaller and more focused on the domestic market. But um, another example is the S&P 500, which is the, um, the main uh, index or one of the main indexes in America. And that is, um, as the name suggests, it's the biggest 500 companies in terms of what's known as mar market capitalization, which means how much they're worth on the stock exchange. Um, 
So, and, and those 500 companies give a pretty good overview as to um, what's going on in the market and also how the market is made up. So the different sectors, the different industries um, that are that are represented, um, you know, in in the US or UK economy as a whole, which can change a lot over time. You know, if you think back, say, 20 years, tech stocks were just not a big thing in in the US. And now they make up, I think, something like 30% of the US market. Um, that might be a wrong figure, but the, but the, you know, the change is very significant. So is the index more a sort of a measure of confidence in those companies and how they are performing on the markets? The index itself is a measure of confidence in the in the in those well in the market. I think um, the index is a is is a single number, um, and it moves up and down according to how those individual um, companies are performing. It's like an aggregate number that reflects the, what's going on with all those companies. Um, and if some companies are having a better day than others. Um, and on the whole, the, the, the ones going up are winning, then the index will tend to go up as well. They can often be overridden completely by investor sentiment, which can be quite irrational. Uh, and that's what can cause big, big movements in, in, um, in the index, and effectively stock market crashes or stock market booms in, indeed. So uh, to, just to sort of try and clarify that, you could have a company... That was a really, really good company. It was really robust. But um, if market sentiment, wider market sentiment, say it's say it's a it's a widget company, if wider market sentiment turns right against widgets because um, oh I don't know they all have to go to France and France has closed its 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 border as far as widgets are concerned, then the the the, the the stock market price of that company um, will fall because um, because investors don't want to hold a stock that they think is going to go down in value. And once you start on that kind of uh, vicious circle, once investors see other investors are, are selling, they will often just jump on the bandwagon. And so the market uh, the, the market price falls dramatically, even though there is absolutely nothing wrong with the company. And that's a short-term market movement, which can be very painful for investors just watching the the, the value of their um, shares going down and down and down. Um, and that is when you have to resist the temptation to um, to jump on the bandwagon. So you mentioned about the falling value of a company and resisting the temptation to sell. But if you were to buy at that point, thinking that the value will then rise, you're then effectively mm. playing the markets. So... How else do you play the game? I would say that any any canny investor is is aiming to try and buy things when they're a little bit cheaper than they than they might otherwise be, um, and that is one of the one of the key ways of if you want to put it as playing playing the game. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a critical way of doing it, um, but a lot of I mean that you can divide investors into um, different types there are short-term traders who will dip in and out of stocks on a a daily or a weekly basis and they are very very much about timing so they'll be they'll be watching prices and they'll get alerts 
um, and they can do complex technological things on their um, account, on their platform, their broker account that enable them to sell at a certain point if a, if a stock price reaches a certain high point, um, buy at a certain low point or sell at a certain high point um, and set those, those, um, those limits automatically. So timing is very, is very important for them. But for long-term investors, for people uh, who are buying with a view to their pensions or to their retirement or to, you know, their ISAs for 20 years down the line, really timing is not terribly important because over the very long term, you know, over, over years and years, um, little wiggles in, in a generally upward line uh, are quite insignificant. And so playing the game is not so much about um, about timing as about making sure that you have chosen really robust individual holdings or uh, very good fund managers if you uh, choose to take the, the, the fund route. So what is a stock market crash? Ooh, well, a stock market crash is where sentiment and irrationality um, kind of gathers pace. It's usually set off by, um, it, it, it follows on from, from the market getting what's often referred to as toppy. So, um, you know, for example, um, people getting more and more exuberant and more and more uh, keen to, to, to be invested in the market and the market's getting higher and higher and higher as more and more investors um, uh, jump into it uh, and eventually something happens and it just starts falling. It just tips the other way. Um, It's not even always terribly clear what it is that tips it, but then people start bailing out um, and they bail out more and more kind of committedly. Uh, More and more of them start jumping ship because they get more and more scared about it. Um, a good example is the what well, is the dot com boom and bust of um, of two thousand, where um, people were piling into technology companies, technology funds um, through the first three months of the year. And I can remember because I actually did exactly what you shouldn't do and and bought um, some some units in a unit trust, a, a technology unit trust. Uh, just before just before the crash and uh and then in about March, I think that year uh it was it just suddenly flipped, and technology com- companies just either went out of business or lost about eighty percent of their value or you know it, it was it was just a bloodbath um a, a similar um occurrence obviously was the was the financial crisis in two thousand and eight, and that was i think really. Um, on the back of of excessive um, h- housing debt, mortgages and and borrowing, general borrowing, but um, there was just too much loose money um, fueling the 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 uh, index, and then the banks um, started to foreclose, uh, and and people became panicky, and panic is a very um, contagious thing. So not just a crash, but the overall stock markets. Um, and I say this 
politely and respectfully, should we care? And how does this affect our lives? Um, it would it would infe- affect it by well more than you might expect, really. I mean, if you're not, you might not be working in in the financial industry, but if you were, you, your job would be at risk. Um, but a stock market crash could affect, for example, um, bank shares. So uh, if banks are suddenly um, hard hit, bank shares are, are hard hit, then banks are likely to suddenly become more cautious. They're worried about their their position and they may stop lending money so readily. So that might mean that you can't get the mortgage you were all set up to get or that all the terms have become much um much tighter, much more um, demanding. Uh, You might find that uh, your insurance policy has become more expensive because insurers are worried about their position. They can't afford to to continue with the same um, levels of of income as they had before. Uh, You're very likely to see um, an effect on your pension. Your pension fund will be affected because most people's pension these days um, is invested at least partly in the stock market, so uh, that will take a hit. Uh, so it really is quite um, quite a far-reaching uh, experience. Is there anything else that an expert should know? Well, I would say that um, an expert should should be. If an expert wants to actually have first-hand experience of stock market investing, um, I think it's worth them knowing uh, where the risks lie. And the risks in stock market investing are that you could lose money. But as we've said before earlier on um, in this session, um, that that's a kind of short-term risk. And over the long term, um, it's still the case that that stock markets uh, tend or money put into a stock market will tend to do better than money either held as cash or um, put into uh, government bonds, which are very safe alternatives to cash. Um, There's something uh, it's quite it is quite interesting, the figures for the very long term. Um, there's something called the, the Barclays Gilt Equity Study, which is done um, every year, and it's been running for years and years and years uh, by Barclays Bank. Um, and it looks at how equities and gilts and cash have performed against each other, uh, and, the, and their data goes all the way back to 1899, so that's 120 years. Uh, and I just looked it up before um, talking to you, uh, and the most recent figures show that equities over that over that time period, equities, that's the stock market in general, shares, if you like, um, have returned on average 5% a year. Uh, and in comparison, uh, government government bonds or gilts have have returned 1.4% a year uh, and cash has returned 0.7%. A year so you really if, if you want to um, make money then you're better off to take the you know you have to be prepared to take some risk but if you have the, a long-term perspective then 
there is much more chance of of making your money work hard um, if you put it into the stock market. Well, if you ever find the risk-free way, do be sure to let me know and we shall pass it on. Uh, Thank you very much for your time. Faith Glasgow is a broadsheet finance journalist and editor of Personal Finance and Investing for Dummies. Thank you for listening to The 30 Minute Expert, the podcast that aims to make you an expert on a chosen topic in 30 minutes. Information on new episodes can be found on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just search 30 Minute Expert. That's three zero minute expert. You can also suggest topics for future podcasts. Just let me know what you'd like to become an expert at in half an hour or less.